Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. Whether you're joining us over the live stream or here in person this morning, I welcome each and every one of you. I especially want to welcome our visitors. If you're visiting with us online, please say hello in the comments if you have the ability to do that. And let us know where you're watching the service from. If you're here with us in person this morning, please join us for coffee and conversation after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us in the comments online or by turning to those around you here in the sanctuary. Good morning. Please join me in the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. The call to worship is by Annie Dillard from For the Time Being. There is no less holiness at this time than there was on the day the Red Sea parted. Or that day in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as Ezekiel was a captive by the river Kibar. When the heavens opened and he saw visions of God. There is no whit less enlightenment under the tree at the end of your street than there was under Buddha's boat tree. In any instant, the sacred may wipe you with its finger. In any instant, the bush may flare. Your feet may rise. Or you may see a bunch of souls in trees. This congregation has a set of religious values that we'll actually be talking about next week. And out of those religious values arose our mission. It's our common purpose. We like it so much that we put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week during our service, we have a moment for beloved community to more deeply explore what we mean by beloved community and our mission. Right behind me, outside our sanctuary walls, a few years back, we put up a sign that says, Side with Love, Black Lives Matter. We did so because we wanted to show our solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. As you know, that movement arose in reaction to the police killing African Americans who were often, if not almost always, unarmed at the time. I would love to tell you things have changed since then, but it continues. Most recently, 25-year-old Jalen Walker of Akron, Ohio, was shot and killed by police as he fled on foot after they tried to give him a traffic ticket. The police claimed that he fired at them from his car as they tried to pull him over. However, when he died, he was unarmed. As he fled on foot, 
eight officers pursued him and shot him 40 times. I know these stories can be difficult. I can only begin to imagine how much more difficult they must be for African-American folks and folks who are other people of color. Bishop Timothy Clark, pastor of an African-American church in the area at the funeral for Jalen, explained why we must talk about it. He said, we must not normalize this. We cannot make the deaths of our sons and daughters at such an early age the normal thing. One way we keep it from becoming the normal thing is to keep telling their stories, to keep saying their names. Jalen Walker. Good morning, friends. I would like to invite all of the children to come up and hear the story for all ages. This story is about a bunny who loves to collect things. This is a book all about a bunny who finds beautiful things. Are you ready to read? Yes. In a Jar by Deborah Marcero. Llewellyn was a collector. He collected things in jars. When he held a jar and peered inside, Llewellyn remembered all the wonderful things he had seen and done. He collected small, ordinary things like buttercups, feathers, and heart-shaped stones. One night, the sunset painted the sky the color of tart cherry syrup. Llewellyn ventured down to the shore with as many jars as he could carry. A little girl named Evelyn was there, too. Llewellyn scooped that cherry light into his jars, and when he was done, he gave one to Evelyn. Evelyn took the jar home, and to her surprise, it glowed through the night with that memory of that sunset. From then on, Llewellyn and Evelyn collected things together. They collected things hard to hold, like rainbows, the sound of the ocean, and the wind just before snowfalls. They collected things you might not think would even fit in a jar, but somehow they did. They collected the wonders of winter. The newness of spring. I love spring. All these beautiful things. And the long days and shadows of summer. Look at all those fireflies. Over time, their jars filled the walls of Llewellyn's house. Look at how many jars that is. 
so many collected things. But one day, Evelyn had sad news. Her family was moving to a new town. Too soon, it was time to say goodbye. With Evelyn gone, Llewellyn's heart felt like an empty jar. One night, Llewellyn lay awake. Falling stars glittered against the dark sky. He wondered if Evelyn could see them too. That gave him an idea. Llewellyn tiptoed into the moonless light and collected the meteor shower in a jar. The next day, he prepared a package. When the box arrived and Evelyn opened the jar, the stars in the night sky fell all around her. How did he do that? Evelyn knew just what to do. She collected the sounds, the crowds, and the bright night lights of her new home and sent them all to Llewellyn. And so, when the golden leaves of autumn began to fall once again, Llewellyn set out to collect a jar full for Evelyn. A little boy named Max was there, too. Luckily, Llewellyn had brought an extra jar. Our reading this morning is by Carol Lee Sanchez from Animal, Vegetable, Mineral. Let's begin with the idea or tribal concept of the sacred. If all of creation is held in the creative thought of the great mystery, then it is an easy step to adopt the concept that everything in heaven and on earth, including the human race, is truly sacred. If we believe that everything is sacred, then the most mundane tasks take on a deeper meaning. One approach is to consciously ritualize ordinary actions, such as awakening to each day, the preparation of foods, or the accomplishment of daily tasks. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, we sense the loving presence all around us, even through virtual space. Breathing in and breathing out, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where the sacred dwells. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, let us enter into that time of silence 
together. I invite you now to light candles, candles of joy, sorrow, remembrance, hope. In 1991, my spouse Wayne and I were attending the International Conference on AIDS in Florence, Italy. As some of you have heard me talk about before, we left for Florence as just friends and were more than just friends pretty much by the time we arrived. 
At one of the first workshops we attended at the conference, we looked up and could barely believe our eyes when we spotted the AIDS memorial quilt panel that had been sewn in honor of Wayne's first adult love interest, Eddie. Out of thousands of such panels that had been sewn, incredibly, Eddie's was hanging on the wall right above us. The quilt was the brainchild of longtime San Francisco gay rights activist Cleve Jones. People would sew panels with remembrances of their loved ones who had died of AIDS, and then the panels could be displayed together in various forms so that those loved ones would always be remembered and the losses due to AIDS made visible and visceral. Seeing Eddie's panel there at the AIDS conference together seemed to Wayne and I like a sacred blessing of sorts. A year or so later, we went to Washington, D.C. to participate in demonstrations demanding action from the Bush Senior Administration regarding HIV-AIDS. While we were there, we went to see a display of the whole AIDS memorial quilt. The sponsors of the quilt had laid it out in its entirety on the National Mall. It was huge and so moving. A large crowd of people walked about, viewing the panels and telling other people the stories of the lives of their loved ones lost. And then, someone stepped up to a microphone of an outdoor sound system that had been set up near the quilt and began one by one reading the names of every single person memorialized in a panel on that quilt. We all grew silent and simply listened to the names being read, taking in the enormity of that quilt, many of us holding one another. That was a hugely sacred moment. And neither, neither of those sacred moments were overtly religious, nor did they contain any reference to a god or the supernatural. Our topic today is finding the sacred in the secular. I think for Unitarian Universalists, the stories I just told demonstrate a need to first define what do we mean by sacred. You see, though in Western European culture the term sacred has very often been tied to the church and a deity, it doesn't have to be. The sacred can simply be objects or experiences which we set apart which we value highly and regard with great reverence. For this faith of ours, wherein at least some have no belief in anything supernatural, such as a definition, uh, such a definition is a way of reclaiming a part of the human experience. And even for those who may hold some form of theistic belief, it widens the realm within which we may experience the sacred. Now, many non-Western European cultures view the sacred in a much more similar way. Are y'all getting that booming sound that I'm hearing? Can we switch to this mic? Thank you. Sorry about that. So, human rights and environmental activist, poet, and scholar Carol Lee Sanchez 
whom we heard from earlier in one of the readings, is of Lakota Native American heritage. She describes how the Lakota don't really have a concept for a distinction between the sacred and the material world. Instead, they understand humans and animals, plants, and all of the universe to be related to and a part of one another. She says that the idea of the sacred that they hold is all-inclusive, and to be spiritual is to be in communion with the great mystery. From this perspective, she asserts, we are in relationship. We are family with not just other humans, but with animals, plant life, the rocks and stones, the water and other elements, all that exist. And if that's the case, then I think we may experience the sacred in communion with other people, but also with our favorite shade tree, or the majesty of the mountainside, or the ants and bees, and so on. Likewise, we might feel the sacred in a stirring verse of poetry, a moving piece of music, a scene in a movie or play that touches us and alters our perspective, a work of art that moves our heart. Even if each of those is secular, have nothing to do with the church or the religious. Likewise, we might find the sacred in scientific discovery, in medicine, in helping others. My spouse Wayne is a physician, and he says that his most sacred experiences have been witnessing a human being taking their first breath and witnessing a human take their final breath. And we create the sacred when we get outside the church to take action to create a better world. The chants and music and marching and community building amidst the protest and other actions that we participate in are tapping into rituals for creating experiences of the sacred, like with the AIDS memorial quilt and the reading of the names. And, and now, even many who hold more Christian theistic beliefs have begun to criticize this false distinction between the sacred and the secular. The minister Donald R. Paul writes of how Rabbi Jesus sure seemed to like to hang out a lot with prostitutes, tax collectors, adulterers, and other sinners. Listen to what some other Christian writers have had to say. Find your own interpretations of the God language if you are want to do so. From Christian author Teddy James, The key to rejecting the myth of division between sacred and secular is to recognize God in every task of our day. What if we simply substituted the sacred for God in that sentence? Or how about this quote from BeliefNet writer Wesley Bain? Is the stained glass window of a cathedral more holy than a sunrise? Is how great thou art more sacred than box cello sweets? God exists in everything. He's in the dandelion as much as the cathedral, in the arts as much as the cross on your wall. Here's another from Christian business writer Mike Baer. The sacred-secular divide is a false dichotomy. 
a false worldview, an infection in the minds of Jesus' followers. Pretty strong stuff. An anonymous Christian writer pointed out that though we have holidays such as Christmas and Easter with meanings and traditions specifically held by by Christians, those same Christians often have family and other loved ones who have entirely secular yet sacred to them traditions and rituals for these very same holidays. One of my favorites is from an applied social sciences researcher at Redeemer University, a Christian-based institution. Dr. Timothy Epps examined 2,080 songs from non-religious secular musical groups. He found these groups through Rolling Stone, Billboard, and the like. He discovered that 752 of those supposedly secular songs address spirituality or experiences of the transcendent in some way. He concluded that we can't view music as a binary, either sacred or secular. (laughs) We prove that at this church all the time, don't we? So it seems we might do well to abandon a perspective that views the sacred and the secular as separate or even in opposition. What if instead we were to embrace that all-inclusive idea of the sacred that Carol Lee Sanchez urges? I believe we might indeed find that the sacred is all around us if we only open ourselves to it. I'll close with a few more stories of when the sacred has shown up in my life in circumstances that were all secular. They're mercifully short, I promise. The first is from several years ago when I was volunteering with a local nonprofit that supports the elderly and the disabled. My volunteer role was to set up a conference call where I would dial in several elderly homebound folks, most of them women, most of them were disabled and could barely, could rarely, if ever, leave their homes. I would get them all on the call, and we would spend an hour or so socializing. People would introduce themselves and say how they were doing. Then sometimes I would offer a piece of poetry or a Meg Barnhouse short story for discussion. Sometimes they just talked about whatever they all felt like talking about that day. At the time, I was doing nature photography on Facebook and posting the photos on Facebook. Several of them figured out how to friend me on Facebook so they could see the photos. After that, if I didn't post new photos on the next call, I got in trouble. (laughs) My friends, that was a sacred experience created by a secular organization. Those folks came to love one another. Those calls were often their only social connection outside of when medical or other support personnel came to their homes. This sacred service gave them a sense of love and connection and belonging. Next story. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. A few years back, Wayne and I met some friends in Nebraska. We went up on this hill on a farm. The people that owned the farm were nice enough to let us go up there and watch the total eclipse of the sun from the hillside. I remember at the height of the eclipse, you could barely see this orange ring in the sky if you had on those protective glasses, unless your last name was Trump. 
As everything darkened, the birds and the insects began making, ni- began making night sounds. I turned in a circle, and in the horizon, 180 degrees around me, there was this thin orange glow of light, like a sunset or a sunrise, way, way out on the horizon and in every direction. At that moment, I got the sense of how very, very vast our universe truly is. But I also sensed being an integral, though tiny, part of it. That was another sacred moment provided by our Church of the Natural World made even more sacred by getting to share it with Wayne and those close friends. Last story. You may have heard me talk about my little buddy of 17 years, Sir Virgil, the Basenji dog. We called him Sir Virgil because he had an almost impossible air of regality. Plus, he was just really bossy. Seven year, 17 years is a long time for any dog to live, but of course the day came when we had to let him go. When that time came, we decided to invite a hospice vet into our home to let him go. The night before she was scheduled to come, we were on the living room couch snuggling Virgil. We have a set of those home pods where we can say, hey, please play such and such, and then the song we've requested will come on. Without Wayne or I, either one, saying a word, suddenly the home pods started playing the Eliza Gilkison song, Sanctuary. In love's sanctuary, thou art with me. Virgil raised his head and listened. That is one of my favorite songs. In fact, at my request, some wonderful folks here at the church had performed it during my ordination into the ministry. Wayne and I stared at each other in disbelief. That was a sacred and almost impossibly synchronistic moment. The next morning, it was cold, so I held Virgil in my lap, sitting in front of the fireplace while the hospice vet did her work, which eventually put him to sleep. And eventually, he drew his last breath. That was another sacred moment. I'll always be grateful to that hospital, that, uh, uh, sorry, that hospice vet for the sacred work she does. But... Sir Virgil was not quite done with us. Now, another thing you have to know about Virgil is that he absolutely adored chaos, especially if he was the one that caused it. Well, a few days later, they returned his ashes to us. Our backyard has a fairly steep hill that rises behind our house, and Virgil used to like to sit at a spot very near the apex of the hill so that he could survey his kingdom. We decided that would be the perfect place to spread his ashes. So out the back door, Wayne and I and our other two Basenjis went and up the hill. I poured the ashes over the proper spot and almost immediately the other two dogs started licking them. (laughs) This wouldn't do. So I got the water hose and started spraying the spot thinking it would keep the other dogs away and wash the ashes down into the soil. What I didn't think about is it made it very slick. 
So when I went to turn the water off, I slipped down and fell into that very spot. If there's a doggy heaven, Virgil was laughing delightedly. Wayne and I couldn't help laughing, too. Sometimes the sacred comes to us through the humorous. My beloveds, I share those personal stories with you because I believe they are all examples of something our Unitarian Universalist faith in particular helps us to learn, is helping me to learn. I think that part of what our faith teaches us is that while they are wonderful and a necessary part of our spiritual development, our experiences of the transcendent here within the trappings of these church walls Our rituals and music and sermons and religious education and fellowship and other forms of spiritual enrichment, as moving and magnificent as they can be, they are preparing us for something even more vital. Our faith helps us develop the ability to open ourselves moment by moment to the potential for the sacred, to recognize it as it happens throughout our daily lives. It helps us perceive the sacred that is all around us in every moment and in everything. Our faith helps us find the sacred within ourselves. And and our faith also compels us to live out our principles and values, doing our part to help the sacred in our world become more fully realized. Our faith informs us that the sacred arises when we become instruments helping to bend the arc of the universe toward justice. And the way that this church does that is emblazoned on our sanctuary wall. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Amen. And sacred be. Now please join me in the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Love sanctuary. Thou art with me in love sanctuary. Thou art with me in love sanctuary. Thou art with me. Thank you. Me too. I send you much love. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.